Welcome to ING's Think Aloud, where we try to make sense of the world in the most unbanky way we can. In today's episode... It is my deepest concern that the great lockdown of 2020 could morph into a great divergence in 2021. IMF Managing Director Kristalina Gorgieva says the pandemic has amplified inequality both between and within countries in Europe. Far from being the great equaliser, COVID has magnified the socio-economic differences and exposed fault lines across the continent, which she says are in danger of getting worse without careful policy decisions. A new report by ING echoes this view, laying out the stark realities of increasing divergence in the labour market, which could pose a threat to European cohesion. I'm Rebecca Byrne, and for more on this, I'm joined by the authors of that report, economists Julian Manceau and Francisca Beale. Julian, at the start of the pandemic, there was a viral video of Madonna sitting in a bath with rose petals, saying that COVID was the great equaliser. And she wasn't alone in thinking that, but it's turned out to be quite the opposite, hasn't it? It's funny she said that from from a bath in a world where 60% of people don't even have a bathroom. (laughs) So indeed, and uh, you're right. So firstly, because we saw higher contagion, infection, even death rates uh, in more deprived areas, and not only in less advanced countries like Brazil or Mexico, but closer to us in the UK, in the US, uh, poorest neighborhoods of London and New York, for example, so uh, death rates that were more than twice those of better of areas. And uh, in France, studies showed similar results last summer. So it was not only about health, it's also about the economy and the labor market, because we saw that the lockdowns had various impacts on countries, on sectors and on work groups. Yeah, you mentioned in your report that countries have not been hit equally throughout Europe and that this has been directly related to the structure of the economy. So those countries that are heavily reliant on things like tourism have been hit the most by lockdown measures, which makes sense. But the numbers are quite startling. Tell us which countries have been suffering the most. Yes, uh, well, tourism is the best example, but it is wider than that. And so entire chunks of the service industry uh, are in scope here. So tourism, but also culture and entertainment, real estate services, wholesale and retail trade, and parts of manufacturing as well. Think of automobiles or aeronautics uh, that had to be included in the scope of our study. So, of course, taken all together, those sectors have various sizes, depending on the country you look at. They are a bit less than 25% of the economy in Ireland, for example, but a bit more than 40% of the economy in Greece. On average, in the Eurozone, it's around 35%. And interestingly, this structure is indeed very correlated to the drop in hours worked that we saw in the first months of the crisis. So that reached 25% in Southern Europe which was closer to 10% in the north of Europe. Right, but inequality also transcends borders, doesn't it? And one feature which seems to be shared across countries is the use of non-standard contracts to employ people in these vulnerable sectors. Tell us about that. Yes, indeed. So even if some countries are more, let's say, specialized than others in what we will call here vulnerable sectors, these sectors share characteristics across countries. So not only low-wage workers are overrepresented in these sectors, we will come back to that, but also what we call non-standard work contracts are overrepresented in those sectors. We are thinking of temporary contracts and small self-employed. And through those characteristics, we, we also capture 
the gap between young and old workers as the young workers are overrepresented in those non-standard contracts. And these contracts represent 30% of the workforce in vulnerable sectors on average, and it goes from 20% in the UK and Germany uh, to more than 40% in Greece and the Netherlands. So the problem is that they are generally less protected than other workers. So they are more likely to go through the social safety net. When a temporary contract ends or when a small entrepreneur is out of business, in most countries, they don't have the same access to unemployment benefits than uh, others who are on standard contracts. Now, in America, many people were making more on unemployment benefits than they were when working. But in Europe, this wasn't the case. And low paid workers have been hit particularly hard, haven't they? Yes, indeed. The US really had an approach of lifting all boats, which benefited the lowest incomes who finally ended up spending it and and supporting the US economy. But no European country uh, followed that approach. And low-paid jobs are indeed the second dimension we looked at in the study together with the, the type of contracts. And that's because there also low-paid jobs are overrepresented in vulnerable sectors. So indeed, they were more it um, when, when the shock came. So um, the only exceptions are, are France and Spain, interestingly, where they are also a small share of the workforce. But when you look at northern countries, so the Netherlands, Austria, Ireland, Germany, um, their low-paid workers are overrepresented and have a high share of vulnerable sector employment that comes from 25% in Ireland to 35% in Germany. So at the end, something interesting is that countries are not necessarily showing the same vulnerabilities. So in northern countries like Germany, Austria, Ireland, uh, when you look at total employment, it's the the high share of low-paid workers in vulnerable sectors that is a problem. When you look in in southern countries like uh, Spain, Italy, Portugal, it's more the high share of non-standard contracts working in vulnerable sectors that is a vulnerability. Looking at the Netherlands and Greece, both are a problem. While in, in France, Belgium, but uh, also the UK, actually they are below average in both dimensions, so they seem less vulnerable to a rise in inequality. Now, of course, if you take the right policy measures, this vulnerable part of your labor market will not necessarily fall into poverty, but clearly you need dedicated measures to avoid that. Yeah. Francisca, you've uh, been looking at rising inequality in terms of gender. And there is a, there's a common perception that women have suffered more economically during this pandemic. Is that true from your research? Well, what is true is that before the crisis already, uh, women were more represented than men among low-wage earners. Austria, for example, ranks the third first place as uh, 22% of women are low-wage earners, which is 12 percentage points higher than the proportion of male low-wage earners. Germany is second, with 26% of working women being low-wage earners against 16% of working men. But I guess our main finding on this is that on average, uh, already before the crisis, women were not more affected than men because of being employed in the vulnerable parts of the economy, uh, because we found that they are not strongly overrepresented in these sectors, except in Austria and in Spain. But... Uh, the temporary closure of schools and kindergartens was indeed a problem, as the additional care work is indeed mainly absorbed by women rather than by men. And we would also like to highlight that men increased their time spent on unpaid work if they had the chance to do so. 
Um, they spend about seven hours per week on care work before the crisis and about 12 hours a week during the crisis. Um, but however, women dedicated about 16 hours per week before the pandemic already, while they spend about 18 hours a week on household activities during lockdowns. Hmm. So in our opinion, structural issues have been deepened during the crisis, but the crisis itself has not led to an increase in gender inequality. Okay, that's quite surprising. What measures are countries taking to help all of these vulnerable groups that we've talked about? And are they enough? Well, in the UK, for example, the furlough scheme has been extended to the small self-employed. Um, in addition, unemployment benefits has been raised and reboarding of young workers was encouraged through financial incentives. In Spain, on the other hand, self-employed workers, including seasonal self-employed, received an extraordinary benefit and additionally strengthened unemployment protection for workers under permanent discontinuous contracts who cannot resume work but are not qualified for unemployment benefits was introduced. In Austria, as another example, a reconversion plan for low-skilled workers uh, that include increased unemployment benefits uh, was introduced, while Belgium has temporary relief checks for the self-employed um, that was extended to other vulnerable workers, for example, in the culture sector, which is really special. And that has been done by Germany as well. And indeed, some of these measures were the right ones, but due to operational problems, they only supported the most vulnerable with a significant time delay. And additionally, the question arises to what extent these measures will be effective in the long run. Right. Well, Julian, you say that the recovery will be as imbalanced as the shock itself. Are you concerned that inequality will be lasting and persistent? Do you see that as a threat to European cohesion? Uh, yes, because you, you have divergences both within and between countries. It's striking that in Europe at the end of 2020, the vulnerable sectors were still 4 to 16% below their pre-crisis GDP level, while the rest of the economy was only slightly below or, or above that, that pre-crisis level. So what it means is that for some sectors, it has not been a three-month crisis. With the new lockdown measures we have been seeing recently, it, it will be an 18-month crisis. So, so the risk of seeing vulnerable workers falling into poverty is higher if it lasts so long, which raises the question, are the policy measures initially taken, the right ones, in the crisis, if 18 months rather than three? So for countries which lacked these measures or had those operational problems, well, it's clearly a high time to, to act. And at the end, the best way to avoid an increase in inequality is to bring back employment growth. So that, that's what monetary policy is doing. And that is what should be expected from recovery plans. But it's not entirely clear from the plans that are there today. Okay, Julian Manso and Francisca Beal, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Rebecca. And to read the report, COVID-19 hits European cohesion, go to our website at think.ing.com. This podcast has been prepared by ING solely for information purposes, irrespective of a particular user's means, financial situation, or investment objective. The information does not constitute investment recommendation, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice, or an offer of solicitation to purchase or sell any financial instrument. Read more at think.ing.com slash content disclaimer.